Shoe thyself a man, and I'll be there for I am. When the troubles come and hard times find your way, rise and take a stand. I am with thee so you can. I will calm the storms and shield thee with my hand. You are mine forevermore. I will love you and adore. All your sin is washed away by the blood I shed that day. So stand and shew thyself a man. Shew thyself a man. Grow in grace as I demand. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in your heart. At work, at home, or play, just obey without delay. Be a light that shines, help others find their way. You are mine forevermore, I will love you and adore. All your sin is washed away by the blood I shed that day. So stand and shew thyself a man. You are mine forevermore. I will love you and adore. All your sin is washed away by the blood I shed that day. So stand and shew thyself a man. Stand and shew thyself a man. So stand and shew thyself a man. All right, well, we've been doing our series now. We've kind of been uh, dealing with the Gentiles, and um, we're going to go ahead and get that slideshow going, and I think it's almost ready to go up. Once it gets up there, we'll get this thing moving along, but we've been addressing a number of things there. It's, uh, okay, there it is. All right, so we talked about the times of the Gentiles. We addressed the fullness of the Gentiles, noting that there's a difference and a distinction. There we go. There's a distinction. Uh, of course, we know the times and the fullness, of course, are different, completely different. And, of course, one goes from Babylonian captivity, 606 B.C., and goes all the way up to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ when he establishes his kingdom during the millennium. Of course, that's the times of the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles began at Pentecost and goes till the rapture of the church or till Christ comes back and receives his bride back. And uh, we made that distinction and we noted the difference. We started talking about that metallic man or the Colossus, we were calling him, in the book of Daniel. And we noted that the head was of gold. We saw that the chest silver, the abdomen brass, the lower torso iron, and then the feet of clay and iron. And we talked about how each of those represented a different uh, world power. Because we said that the times of the Gentiles beginning in 606 B.C., we're going to have four world powers that were ultimately uh, rule the world during the course of the times of the Gentiles. Now, we note that during the time that we are in presently, the church age, there's been some kind of a, uh, a break now, 
and uh, where we, we left Rome in charge, Rome has lost power now, but Rome will be revitalized and reestablished again as represented by the iron and clay feet. And uh, we'll, we'll note that here in a little bit as well. Then we said that there's a stone that will be cut out of the mountain, and that represents the millennial ki- kingdom of Christ. And it's going to destroy, if you will, that colossus, and it's going to ultimately bring in the, the millennium uh, kingdom, the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. So we note that. We said, so the overview, we, uh, we took a little time to look at that. But then we went to Daniel chapter 7, and we saw that Daniel's getting a vision now of some, of some beasts, okay? And the first one was a lion, and we said that that represented Babylon. Now, of course, the gold represented Babylon and the Colossus. And then we had, over here, we, we went then to the bear, Mesopotamia, uh, Medo-Persia, excuse me, and we saw that. And then, of course, the leper is representative of Greece. And again, the Bible gives us those def- definitions. We saw that as we went through and that's kind of an interesting thing, how God revealed to us, even before they took power, who would take power. And these are the four major um, groups. We've got, um, the, um, we've got the Babylonian kingdom. We have the Medo-Persian uh, kingdom. And then we have the Grecian kingdom. And then, of course, the fourth one was Rome. And we're going to see now, as we get into our study where we left off, we left off by coming to this beast, the one that represented Rome. And so we're going to go ahead and start there and uh, kind of get things moving along. And uh, so turn, if you would, to Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. Daniel 7, verses 7 and 8. And we're going to go ahead and pick up where we left off and recognize the fourth of these, uh, the fourth beast uh, that Daniel saw in his vision in chapter 7 of the book of Daniel. So chapter 2, we saw the Colossus. Chapter 7, we recognize here these beasts. And this one is a very dreadful beast. Uh, it doesn't really represent anything that we understand so much. It's, uh, it was so bad that uh, Daniel's going to, we're going to see he's got a real problem with it. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Daniel 7, 7 and 8. And we might as well get over there because we're going to look at a number of verses as we move along here today. But Daniel chapter 7. And we're going to start in uh, 7 and 8. Okay, he goes on to say now, he says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. It had great iron teeth, it devoured and break in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now, in this particular beast, we notice uh, that it has iron teeth, and it also has ten horns on its head. Those, that iron there corresponds to those iron limbs that we read about. Remember, Rome uh, had the iron, those legs, if you will, and that lower torso. Well, then the ten horns go and connect to or, or kind of represent the ten toes of that colossus. We're seeing a connection there uh, as we move forward with this particular beast. But as Daniel considers these ten horns, he's amazed to see another horn. It's called that, he calls it a little horn. 
this, this little horn comes up in the process. And in the process, it plucks up three of the original ten that existed. So there's those ten horns on this nameless beast. We don't really know what it's called. It, it, he doesn't say it's like a leper or a bear. He doesn't say it's like a lion. He just simply says it's a beast. It's a horrible, horrible beast. And uh, he says that in the midst of those ten horns, one comes up through uproots three of them in the process, and it's called the little horn. And as he examines this little horn more closely, he notices that it has eyes like a man and the mouth of a man, and he was speaking great things. And so as he examines this little horn more closely, he notices those things, and he realizes, wow, there's something unique, there's something different, something special about this. And so I want to have a quick word of prayer, and then we're going to pick up right there and move along here quickly. Father, bless us now in these next few moments. May we learn something from your word about the coming kingdom, this Gentile kingdom that will rule on earth prior to Christ's return. Help us, Lord, now we pray. We'll give you the glory in Christ's name. Amen. So before Daniel can even ask for an explanation of the meaning of that little horn, before that even happens, he gets another vision, a vision of a judgment. Look, if you would, now in verses 9 through 14. It literally picks right back up. It says, And I beheld till the throne were cast down, the thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. And I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. And I beheld even till the beast was slain, and the body destroyed, and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Now again, we, we notice here in this passage, I've read a number of passages, but we're seeing that there was a vision and there was a vision of judgment. So before Daniel can even ask about this little horn and get an explanation, he's told that there's going to be a judgment that takes place. As a matter of fact, it says here that he beheld till the thrones were cast down. And then it says the judgment was set and the books were opened. And so we start to look at what's taking place and we're going to realize when this actually happens. When does this judgment take place then? Because we know that we have these Gentile nations. There are four nations, and only four, that will rule between the time of 606 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar took control and, and brought Israel into captivity till the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom. And so when does this judgment take place? Because at one point we see this little horn coming up out of this beast, if you will, that represents Rome in the latter days, but then all of a sudden there's a judgment that takes place, and then the Ancient of Days delivers a kingdom to the Lord Jesus Christ, basically. 
So when does it happen? Well, that kind of answers it, but think about that for just a moment, that, that the Bible says, um, and I think this is interesting, that all people, nations, and languages shall serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion in verse 14, and it'll never be destroyed. And I think about Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. When the Bible says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, should bow, of the things in heaven and the things in earth and the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of, the, of, of, of God the Father. Man, I'll tell you what, I think that fits right in there pretty good, doesn't it? And so anyway, the destruction of the beast takes place right before one like the Son of Man is given dominion. So the Son of Man being given dominion would be the millennium. So what we recognize and see is that there'll be a judgment on this, these nations, especially that nation that is ruling at the time of Christ's return. That judgment takes place prior to Christ taking his throne. And so at the end of the, millennia, uh, end of the tribulation, there's going to be a judgment then. Now again, these visions really, really perplexed Daniel. They bothered him greatly. His spirit, the Bible says, it grieved. he was grieved in his spirit. And the visions in his head, it said it troubled him. And so he approached this heavenly messenger, and it's, he, he approaches him and he asks the meaning. Look in verses 15 through 17 now. Chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. It says, And I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. Have you ever had a dream that troubled you? <laughs> He's got a dream, and this one's really bothering him. And I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me, made me know the interpretation of things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth, he says. So as the interpretation of the visions given to Daniel, the prophet asked specifically about that fourth beast. And he asks about the horn. So he's told there are four, but now he's going to be very specific. What in the world's going on here? Look at verse 19. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. Man, this thing is going, I mean, it is just annihilating. It's crushing all of its opposition. It is a beast that is indescribable. The angel explains that the beast's ten horns are ten kings who are going to rise from that particular kingdom. In verse 24, we see that. It says, And the ten horns out of this kingdom of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue the three kings. Now here we go. He's talking about now those ten kings. So it appears that, from what we can tell, is that the the the, the Roman Empire is going to be reinstated, if you will. It's going to once again be a, a, a world leader, but there's going to be 10 kings that help rule that world kingdom. There'll be 10 of them. And, and so there'll be this federated kingdom, and all of a sudden, from those 10 will rise one, which we're going to learn here in just a moment, is the Antichrist, and three of them will go away. They're not going to be in charge anymore. And so that little horn that shall arise with the eyes and the mouth of, human, uh, of a human represents that latter king, that one that's coming forth, that one that's rising up. And those three are going to go down when he comes up. And um, here's the thing that's interesting. That, that king that we're talking about, that little horn, 
He's going to speak against the God, against God and oppress God's people. He's not going to like them at all. He's going to seek to change times, the Bible says, and laws. He's, he's going to uh, try to exercise power over God's people, and it's going, he's going to do this for three and a half years. Now, that's in Daniel 7.25. And he shall, talking about that little horn now, that little horn coming up out of the Roman Empire at the last days, coming out of that, that ten federated kingdom, three go down, one comes up, here he is, the Antichrist, and he says, verse 25, and he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws and they shall be given unto the, his hand until a time and a times and the dividing of times. And so we're going to see that for two and a half years he's going to be in charge as, the, as, as, as this beast that's going to rule the world and um, he's going to do it through a revived Roman Empire. And he is going to literally speak against God. He's going to wear out the saints, it says. That means he's going to put them through the ringer. And he is going to do things and change things. And, well, we're going to see he's going to do a lot of things before it's over with. Now, again, this world leader is none other than the Antichrist. And he is the ruler who will come, the Bible says. And, you know, this is the ruler that's going to set up an abomination in the temple. And look in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Again, we're going to have, if you will, this, we, right now we're in the church age, and the church is going to be raptured out, and uh, the fullness of the Gentiles will end at that point. But the times of the Gentiles are continuing all the way through till the millennial reign of Christ. And so then the Gentiles are going to come back into power under the guise of Rome again. And pretty soon, in the middle of the tribulation period, the, the Antichrist is going to rise up, and he's going to take over. And for three and a half years, he's going to, and we're going to see, he's really going to wreak havoc on Israel. He's going to speak against God. He's going to try to annihilate the Jew, and he's going to go ahead and demand, as we're going to see here in a moment, that everyone worship him. Look at Daniel 9.27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, it's talking about one week. Now you got to understand, we'll talk, maybe we might talk a little bit about Daniel's 70th week before we're done. But that 70th week, and we don't have time to go into all of it now, but that's, that represents seven years. And so prophetically, when we see uh, Daniel's 70 weeks, as we'll talk about them, it it's 70 times 7, because a week has 7 days. It ends up being 490 years worth of history that's being addressed. So this, this last week, this final week, if you will, represents 7 days. Well, guess what? That's 7 years. That is the mo that's the tribulation period. And he says at the beginning of the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to establish a covenant. And it's going to seem like a pretty good one. Everybody's going to be a win-win situation, or so it'll seem. But then he goes on to say, notice, he's going to confirm that covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week, that's three and a half years, he shall cause the sacrifice, 
and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation, and the determination uh, determined shall be uh, the, the determined shall be poured upon the desolate. He's talking about the fact that he is going to wreck the temple. He's going to let the Jew kind of think he's got what he wants, and that it's going in a good direction. And pretty soon, he's going to step in and say, "By the way, uh, you don't get to worship your God anymore. You get to worship me." That's what's going to happen. So given the fact that the Antichrist emerges from that fourth beast, as I said already, it kind of leads us to believe that in the end times there's going to be a revival of the Roman Empire. And it's going to include a coalition, as we said, of those ten world leaders, those leaders gathering together. The Antichrist is going to take ultimate, he's ultimately going to take this position of leadership. And he's going to do it at the expense of three of those leaders. They go down so that he can rise up. And then he is going to possess global authority. And he's going to demand worship. And he's going to seek to control every aspect of life. Now, we don't have time to go into all of it. But you probably remember hearing about the mark of the beast. Well, this is the beast we're talking about. We're going to see him in Revelation now. Turn to Revelation chapter 13. So the Antichrist is going to rise to power and at first, it's going to seem like he is a good guy. He's there to really help the world, to, to enable the world to get through these tough times that we're facing, to bring unity to all, to bring economic, racial, social justice to the entire world. That is exactly what he is going to promise. Everything is going to be like a millennial utopia, but it's going to be based on him bringing it in, not Jesus Christ. He's going to say, I'm the answer to all the world's problems. Follow me, and everything will be great. And boy, I'll tell you what, at first it'll seem like it's pretty good. But then all of a sudden, in the middle of it all, he, he changes his stripes, man. He, he, he doesn't follow through, and he breaks the covenant, and it gets ugly. Romans chap, uh, Revelation 13, he says here in chapter 13, verse 6, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Man, did you just hear that? That's crazy right there. Now, I don't know about you, but 20 years ago, before, I, 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 before computers became so prevalent and popular the way they are today, before um, our banking system has gone all electronic and ultimately it will be completely electronic, before our, our, uh, our currency was going to be electronic or some other kind of currency other than cash. We see this all happening now, right? Right before our very eyes. It's like, wow, this is amazing. How in the world could he make everybody take a mark and then you, could, you couldn't buy or sell or trade or do anything? That doesn't make sense. 20 years, 25 years ago, we thought, man, I could go under the radar. I mean, I could, get, I could sneak into stores and use my cash and I would never use a credit card. But you have to use credit now. Before it's over with, when he takes over, there's not going to be cash. We see the directions going. 
You will have to use. And there's going to be cameras everywhere. And they're going to be tracking us through every device we have. They're going to know what you're saying. They're going to know what you, you, you've done. They're going to know all that stuff because computers are only getting better all the time, more efficient and effective. And let me tell you, right now, if they really want to, they know exactly what you're saying in your home. We all know that's the case. Can you imagine if you don't take the mark of the beast and they know you didn't, can you imagine how they could hunt you down and find you then if you can never buy anything, you can't sell anything without coming up and taking a breath, so to speak? I'm telling you, it can happen. I see it now. Back then, I kept thinking, man, I could move out to a mountain somewhere. I could find a place where just me and my family could live. I could shoot Bambi, and then I could make all kind of Bambi meat, and we could live forever up there in the mountains. The only problem is you still have to get something somewhere sometime probably, or somebody wanders in your camp that has a phone on and says, hey, what are you doing up here? Let me take your pictures. Don't take my picture. And they're like, uh-oh, ding, 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 ding. No mark, no mark, no mark, no mark, no mark. And they come swooping down with helicopters, pick you and your family up, cut your head off, and life is good again. Let me tell you, life will be better that way than it will be the other. Because if you take the mark of the beast, you don't get to go to heaven. You go right to hell. So you'd be better off, but let me tell you what. Who are you kidding? I don't know about you, but that'd be a tough pill to swallow to watch my family go down because we weren't willing to take a mark. The deception will be so great. He will demand that we worship him. That's what he says. If you're on this earth... Praise the Lord that come the rapture, we're out. By the way, the rapture takes place before the tribulation. Uh, listen, don't listen to all those preachers. Any preacher tells you that we get to go through the tribulation period halfway or all the way to the end before we're raptured out. Let me tell you something. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Mark O'Donnell's gone before the tribulation. You stick around if you like, but I'm gone. I'm part of the bride of Christ, and I'm not going to have to deal with any condemnation. I don't have to be judged. My sin's already been judged on Calvary. Man, I am going up and out, and I'm going to be there at the judgment seat of Christ, and I'm going to ultimately get that white robe even though I don't deserve it. And then I'm coming back with Jesus Christ. I don't want nothing to do with that tribulation period. I don't want nothing to do with this Antichrist. Matter of fact, you won't even know who the Antichrist is till we're taken out according to second thessalonians chapter two don't even know you say i think i know who it is you might think you do but you don't know because it's not till we're out that he is ultimately revealed again it's interesting to note that the little horn of daniel 7 here now this is interesting is the first beast of revelation 13 we just read revelation 13 but see revelation 13 correlates with chapter 7 and Daniel's beast, that beast there. This is all kind of interesting how this all plays together, how the Bible puts pieces everywhere, and you bring them together, and you get this great big picture. So, here is the dragon of Revelation chapter 13. Now, he may not look quite like that, but this is interesting. Look, if you would, in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I want you to notice something very interesting. 
You say, well, I don't know if I agree that the, the dragon or the, the, the beast of chapter 13 of Revelation and that beast of chapter 7 of Daniel is really connected. Read this and you'll start to wonder. I think you'll figure it out. Watch this. Revelation 13, 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea. Now we're in Revelation now. This is John's vision. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns, ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy, and the beast which I saw was like unto a leper, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. That's interesting. Those same beasts are the same ones that are mentioned in chapter 7 of the book of Daniel. And notice as he goes on to say, and he goes on to say, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Well, whose power and whose seat and who has great authority? That little horn of Daniel. That's interesting how the Bible ties it together using those key words and phrases to bring it all together. Now look at verses 5 through 7. So in other words, the beast of Revelation possessed all the elements, if you will, of all of Daniel's beasts. So like Daniel's fourth beast, John's beast speaks proudly. He oppresses God's people for three and a half years. Here it is, 5 through 7. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. Three and a half years, two, uh, three and a half years, excuse me, yes. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name. And we already read this, his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindred and tongues and nations. Now, this is interesting because notice who he's making war with. He's making war, the Bible says, with, all, with the saints. He is, he is tracking down, he is trying to run down uh, all them Jews that are in the wilderness now. Remember when the, the Jews ran off into the wilderness during that wilderness wandering? They're going to be back in the wilderness again during the tribulation period, and they're going to be fleeing from the Antichrist. And God is going to have to supernaturally provide for them. There's no way that, he, that they could to lean on man for provision, right? I mean, because the, 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 the Antichrist, he's going to have them locked down. You buy and sell, you, you don't take the mark, you're done. Israel's going to be like, whoa. And God's going to supernaturally provide for them. Remember how God provided manna in the wilderness for them? Remember how God provided <clears throat> for them water in the wilderness? Supernatural means, right? Hey, listen, that stuff really happened. That wasn't just a, an analogy. Those things actually happened. And can I tell you that not only does that happen, but do you remember how their clothes, the very clothes they went into the into the wilderness with were still okay when they came out? Can you imagine a pair of sneakers lasting, for, lasting 40 years? That'd put everybody out of business. They make them. They design them to wreck and ruin after about three months. At least when you, you know, you're, you know, slam dunk and stuff like I do. There's a lot of wear and tear on the shoes. But anyway, you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's amazing. So this is the Lord. He's working it out. Now, uh, i got to hurry here, but the good news is that the reign of Antichrist is limited to 42 months, the Bible says, and no more. And so 
God then promises to judge that little horn. And in Daniel 7, 26, we read about that. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it unto the end. As John saw it in Revelation 19, he sees it in verse 20 like this. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which with, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. So we see that ultimately the Son of Man is going to rule forever. And in the end, God is still in control. And Christ, who will come again, defeats the kingdoms of the world and establishes his throne forever and ever. That's a wonderful thing. And it's funny how all three visions describe the times of the Gentiles. You, you, you have the Colossus or the metallic man in chapter 2 of Daniel. You've got chapter 7, these four beasts that Daniel saw. You then have, in chapter 13, you have the introduction of this beast that John sees in a vision or when he's transported into the heavenlies to see it firsthand. They all three point to these Gentile nations that will rule the times of the Gentiles. And in the end of Nebuchadnezzar's Colossus or metallic man, we, we, it, it makes way for Christ and his kingdom. It ultimately ends with Christ in his kingdom. We could read that, Daniel 2.44. In the end, Daniel's four beasts, those four beasts, they represent, we said, the revived Roman Empire. Ultimately, that fourth beast does. And the Antichrist will make his, uh, will, and, and, and it represents the Antichrist through the, 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 um, uh, the horn. Let's see, the little horn. And... Um, then all of a sudden we have Christ and his kingdom coming to pass. We have chapter 13. We have John's vision of the dragon and the Antichrist and the tribulation. And that makes way also for Christ and his kingdom. They all end the exact same way. And again, it's because it's all pointing to the same kingdom, the same king, and the same end. So, as we close, let me ask this, bring this to pass. Ask this question. Why are these four kingdoms represented first as a golden-headed metallic image and then as a succession of wild beasts? Why in chapter 2 is it a golden Im uh, uh, an image, a metallic man, beginning with gold and then it goes into the silver and all of those things? Why, why that? And then all of a sudden we then have this vision in chapter 7 of these beasts that are consuming and destroying everything. I think it's because it reveals the difference between how man views and how God views the world kingdoms. See, man sees these kingdoms as the concentration of wealth, of majesty, of power, of authority, of success. God sees them as a succession of ravenous wild beasts devouring one another. One is in rulership, the other devours it and takes charge and ultimately ends by being cast into the lake of fire. So what is so appealing to mankind is viewed as abominable to God then. What is seen as impressive to man is viewed as insidious to God. 
what is considered the pinnacle of success to mankind is viewed as the peak of seduction to God. See, God doesn't see the world and its powers and t- that be like we do. He r- raises them up for purposes, yes. But the fact is, is that God does not see them with all the glit and glitter that we do. We are drawn to them sometimes through our flesh. We want what they have. The only problem is God's saying there's nothing good about them because I see them as ravenous beasts. I see those four beasts. You see kingdoms that have gold and silver and precious stones and authority and power and prestige. I don't see it quite like that. I see them as beasts that are just devouring one another. And can I tell you, that's exactly how God sees sin. God sees sin as a beast that devours us. We are drawn to sin too many times because of our flesh. Oh, how we have to be so careful that we don't allow the flesh to rule us and to draw us to the very thing that God says will destroy us. We have to be so careful. So, that's it. How do you view the world? The successes of the world. How do you view sin? How do I view sin? Do you see sin as something ugly? And bad? Or do you see it all dressed up and looking great? Because in the end, how we see sin, how we recognize the world, and I'm not talking about having an attitude toward people. I'm talking about in general, the world and the flesh and the devil. How we view that as believers and as individual believers will determine how successful we are in overcoming it. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership. Help us, Lord, to see things the way you do. Lord, there's a world that is in need of Jesus Christ. I get that, Lord. We all know that. Lord, we read your word, and we know without a doubt that the world is in trouble without you. Lord, we are too. And Father, we're asking you, Lord, just to help us to recognize sin for what it really is, something that destroys, that Satan uses to derail us, distract us. Ultimately, as we said, destroy us. And Lord, may we not be so caught up in this world, somehow loving it instead of loving you more. Father, be glorified now in our lives. Bless this service as we close. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand if you're able to stand, that is, and let's bow our heads and let the Lord work as the music plays. If you want to pray.